All right, we haven't talked much about what's new in iOS 17.4 other than the gigantic changes in the European Union. So we should talk about something that's changing for Apple Cash. So Apple Cash is has historically been a way for users to send and receive money, sort of like Apple's version of Venmo, but it's also been available in Apple Pay. If you have an Apple Cash balance, you can use it to check out on websites where Apple Pay is an option. But there's never been a card number for your Apple Cash debit card that you can use on websites where Apple Pay isn't an option. So previously, you'd always have to transfer from the cash card to a different account before you could actually spend the money, right? Correct. If you didn't want to use Apple Pay. Right, yeah, if Apple Pay is not available. So now in iOS 17.4, there's like a new prompt that shows up in the wallet app where you can set up a virtual card number that is linked to your Apple Cash card. So this basically turns your Apple Cash card into like a proper debit card, where if you have money on your Apple Cash card and you're shopping online, you can choose to use Apple Pay if it's available, or if it's not available, you can just autofill your virtual card number. Pretty nice change. I think other pre like PayPal has a prepaid debit card where you have a card number and everything. So this is kind of just Apple matching what PayPal and Venmo and others and Cash App have offered. So pretty cool change. Yeah, and you get a unique security code. That's the three-digit number for each transaction. So I guess it helps with if you if your information gets stolen, they can't immediately make another payment because they still need to match the CVV number on the back, which obviously isn't physically on the back. It's not a physical card, but virtual card number. So you get a different one each time. So it gives you a bit of, bit of extra security there. It's a lot like the virtual card number and rotating CVV features for Apple Card, mm. just expanded to the Apple Cash debit card. Which is still serviced by Green Dot Bank, right? Because the Apple Card's Goldman Sachs, but Apple Cash was predates that arrangement. So it's Correct. with Green yes. Dot. Uh, there has been persistent rumors that at some point Apple might take over that or whatever, but uh, hasn't happened yet. Still Green Dot for the time being. But you'd never know if you're just using the feature, right? Apart from like one terms and conditions screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just done on the quiet. And sadly, US only. There was a change where Apple Cash cards were based on the Discover network at first, and now they're Visa, which I think is one of the things that allowed Apple to make this change and some of the other changes we've seen to Apple Cash. But yeah, US only for the time being. Yeah, pretty nice feature. Helps you send money to friends, right? Um, it's by far the most common way that at least people like in my friend group want to send money back and forth like it used to be Venmo. But because Apple Cash is so integrated into iMessage, it's like, why would you use anything different at this point, unless the person is a, a non-Apple user? And I believe they added, like, like repeating payments with iOS 17. So, like, you can do, like, $10 a week or whatever to, like, um, from your cash account. So they, they do keep iterating on it, which is nice. I like Apple Cash mainly because the, the logo looks pretty. Like, you know, in the, app, does, in the, yeah. in the wallet app, it has that, like, holographic effect on the, on the card. And like as you move your phone, the holographic effect mm. like changes, the colors change, the perspective changes. It's cool. It's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, us non-US people don't have any of those fancy card effects because we don't have any of the features that let it happen. We don't have the dynamic Apple card. We don't have the dynamic cash card. <laughs> You're missing out, especially in 17.4, because at least us in the United States get this. Then our friends in the European Union get everything else. Then your little <laughs> island. Not UK! much for you. Nothing. Yeah. One the other thing, kind of under the hood, as they say in tvOS 17.4, are more references to a new HomePod with a screen. 
Mayo, I know you're particularly excited about this. We'd found references earlier that Apple had been testing running tvOS on an iPad mini, sort of as a way to maybe dog food its plans for a HomePod with a screen. And now the evidence in tvOS 17.4 suggests that Apple has taken this to the next level with a new device identified as Z314 that is capable of running tvOS 17.4. Certainly seems like the stars are aligning for maybe finally a HomePod with a screen. Yeah, because also in this beta, some of the um, UI frameworks, like Swift UI frameworks, were yeah. added to the HomePod mm-hmm. firmware, which could just be, um, like, it doesn't really hurt if they get added and they're not used, but why would you add them if you're not planning on using them? And obviously, they're visual UI frameworks, so generally related to devices with screens. Um, so it does seem like they're heading in that direction, which is really, really nice, because at the moment, I have the HomePod second gens in the living room, and I have the HomePod first gens in the kitchen, just up high, so like they're kind of out of sight, but all of the what they do is make sound. But I would like it if they came out with a HomePod with a screen on it so I could put it like on the actual kitchen counter and then A, get the music because part of the problem with it being so up high is it like bounces off the ceiling but like not in an intended way so it's a bit boomy rather than what the sound should actually be like. But I live with it. But if it was on the actual countertop then you could also have a screen to show like the recipe or the timers and stuff because that's what I really want. Like I set a 10 minute timer for cooking or whatever and you just want to be able to like glance over and see the timer on the screen. And you can't really do that today. It kind of sucks that, like, if you set a timer on the HomePod, you can't, like, see it on your watch and stuff. Like, there's not that cross-syncing. So that would be one solution, but also it's nice just to have a standalone screen. Um, so, you know, you could kind of do this with, like, putting an iPad mini on, like, a stand, but that feels, like, way overkill and not perfect, right? But basically what a HomePod would be would be a voice-controlled iPad mini that also has a nice speaker in it for music. Because in the... And podcasts, right? Because when I'm cooking, I like playing podcasts and stuff. So I've been really looking forward to them doing a screen HomePod Mini or any any updates to the HomePod line I would very much welcome because I do use them a lot but a screen version is nice obviously Amazon Echo ecosystem has loads of different screen options including ones that like follow you around the room and you know have little arms <laughs> that rotate and I don't even need any of that fancy stuff really just give me a HomePod that roughly sounds the same as the current one but has a screen on the front of it you could literally just stick an iPad Mini on there and you know that kind of screen size and it would work it would work really well and I think they have a pretty good UI option in either the and i'm blanking on the name of it the iris 70 feature where you put a landscape on the phone standby standby yeah so either you go for a standby approach right where you have like the big widgets and the time and then it could overlay reminders and serial at the top of it or you could roll out like the tvos ui and because that has like big bulging buttons right so obviously right now you need to do mm-hmm. it with a remote but you could imagine that same ui could also be controlled by touchscreen if you really had to and everything, the information density is just lower because it's meant to be viewed by six feet away. But when you're in like a kitchen environment, that's kind of what you want. So everything's just nice and big um, and viewable. Like you, you, want, you don't want an iPad mini kind of screen density, that kind of UI density for yeah. something that is like a countertop computer because it just doesn't really work when you want to like glance at it from across the room. But a TVS kind of scale would work quite well. Uh, or they could take and expand upon what they've done with standby in iOS 17. Either routes would be pretty good. If you go the TVS route, it does give you more of a direct option for app support because you could immediately just install like the same, you know, Netflix and Disney apps as well, like directly onto the thing. Whereas if you're doing standby, that's the path to getting an app ecosystem there is less clear. It depends what Apple wants to do, though, because like they could do, you know, more of the TVS tablet on a speaker approach or they could do just more of a separate device that is just like showing you like which would be more of the homage to original HomePod where it's basically all your HomePod functionality but you get a screen for showing the, the status, you know, the, the album art, the track, the 
the um, timers and you don't really have an app ecosystem. Uh, but either way they go, I'm kind of happy with either. So I'm holding out hope that this will actually come to fruition soon because it's, it's been a long time since they've done a new hardware um, release in that division. <laughs> I mean, literally the second-gen HomePod was the start of 23 and it was literally yeah. the same HomePod that came out in 2018, you know, bar <laughs> some very minor changes. Uh, apart from that, you've had the HomePod Mini and no real... ever Like, there hasn't really been a second-gen HomePod Mini. They just added new colours, right? So the, the, the growth in the HomePod division is pretty... Um, not, not super pacey, right? It's very, <laughs> you know, it's very plodding. So anything in that area, I think, is sorely needed. And starting with a HomePod with a screen on it would be a great start. The thing I'd want more, I think, than a HomePod with a screen is some sort of like Apple TV combo box, which Bloomberg has said is like in the works. Mm. And the writing is kind of on the wall for that in TVOS 17 with the FaceTime, the new FaceTime app. Although I guess if they did the TVOS approach on a HomePod with a screen no Apple TV component, then you could also use the FaceTime app on that. Yes, that'd be nice. Which is an interesting thing. And Bloomberg has said too, you mentioned the Amazon thing with the robotic arm that follows you around, that Apple has tested, tested something that. like that. Yeah. Yep. But if something tells me that's far too ambitious, then Apple's home efforts are really willing to go to. As you just said, the motivation yeah, is really kind of... Like they have enough investment to have like an articulating arm no. that follow you around the room. Uh but I don't really need that. If you just have a static screen, be perfectly, perfectly happy with me. Maybe with Face ID or some sort of room, so you don't have to authenticate. That'd be nice. But uh, even that, like, if it just acted, it basically, if it just did all the features that the HomePod does, but it just had a visual dis- display for timers yeah. and sound and stuff, that'd be hugely beneficial. Uh, the only real like feature I want from it in the kitchen is to be able to show recipes, maybe. So, uh, but they could add that to the HomePod OS. Like that's something you could see them do via standby rather than needing to like launch a TVOS platform on it. But they could also go that route, and then you could access all the video apps, which is more what like the Amazon Echo Show does. Uh, either way, I'd I'd welcome it. The 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 cinema the the combo soundbar camera Apple TV thing for the living room lounge environment the home theater thing. I am excited about that as well, but my current setup doesn't really have a place for a soundbar to go, so. That would be it would have to be really good for me to want to like get a new like TV cabinet and stuff and sort that out. Cause if I as it stands right now, if I wanted to put a soundbar, it would have to cover the bottom of the TV. Oh yeah, no way. Yeah, so I don't want to do that. Cause right now I just have two home pods in stereo side by side to the TV, right? But there's no space below the TV to put the soundbar. And also if you're thinking the the other problem with that is you don't want to put the soundbar too low, because if it's got a camera attached to it, then the camera won't be able to see the room. So there's some logistics questions with a with that combo. Uh, at least in my environment but i think other people obviously could adopt it um you know forthwith so i'm sure it'd be a successful product but at least for me i'm not like jumping at the bit to buy that because it doesn't quite fit into my theater setup as is but yeah do you use two home pods stereo output from apple tv yeah yeah are they first generation or second generation they're the second gen ones i put in the lounge uh they they basically sound the same as the first gen ones so i'd say they're 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 probably a bit f- faster to talk to, minorly, but not like by crazy amounts. It's, you could you could shut my eyes and you could probably put either ones there. I just when I bought the new ones, I was like, well, this is going in the main room, i.e. the lounge, and the other ones are going outside. Uh, but yeah, they, I I think it works. Like they sound about as good as a mid range soundbar, right? So I think they sound you, quite a bit better than a mid range mid range soundbar. Mid range type. The main thing is you don't get the bass. Like a lot of the soundbars come with a separate bass. Yeah, that's true. Thing. 
And so you obviously the HomePods have base, but they don't have they don't compete with a dedicated subwoofer. So that'd be another product I wouldn't mind adding if they just had a wireless subwoofer you could put somewhere in in the lounge area to complement the stereo speakers. That'd be cool too. But now you're is, really getting ambitious. I know, right? Like Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but anything, give me anything, you know, like <laughs> even if they upgraded to a second gen HomePod that actually has better speakers in it, that'd be nice because it felt like we waited five years for them to just deliver the exact same product they shipped in 2018. And I'm sure they could make better ones too. So anything would be great. But I think proc- in terms of proximity, what's obviously coming is some sort of HomePod with a screen on it, which I am very excited to put in the kitchen. The two HomePods I have connected to the Apple TV are first generation. And I think they're my first two, like the first two HomePods I ever bought. So that would have been 2018, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yep. Yeah. And they're still, they're still kicking along. Every so often, one of them like cuts out and I have to go unplug and plug it back in. But it always comes back. I'm waiting for the day that I go unplug it and plug it back in and it just never comes back to life. Because <laughs> you hear so many people say that their first gen HomePods just one day they just die. And so far... Mine are still alive. Yeah, same, same here. I only have, I only ever bought two, and they're the ones that are currently in, in the uh, kitchen. But they were bought literally. The first one was bought the first day the HomePod came out. So that was February 2018, and then yeah. I bought the second one when they added AirPlay two with stereo pairing, which was like May because it came in a software update. So yeah, since basically since the launch, those things have kept working. And touch wood, they work perfectly. <laughs> but yeah, clearly the the failure rate on those first gen models is pretty high. So far, we're about a year into the second-gen models, and I haven't heard the same criticisms, but that might also just be that not many people bought the second-gen yeah, ones, nobody bought understandably. Uh, but I have, and they work great. So uh, that's fine. The only other thing that's on the horizon for them, really, is maybe if Siri gets a lot better with iOS 18, and that can also roll out to the HomePod system too, that'd be nice. But for what I use them for is, you know, I don't ask them like super complicated trivia question or anything. It's playing music, which they generally do on command timers and you know just doing the tv stuff so uh, i'm pretty happy with them they're just expensive for what they are happy hour this week is brought to you by pillow pillow is the best sleep tracking app for your apple watch iphone or ipad to help you uncover the scientifically proven benefits of good sleep go to pillow.app and use promo code happy hour 23 to get 30 percent off an annual subscription to pillow premium sleep better with pillow your smart sleep assistant pillow analyzes your sleep cycles automatically using your apple watch or if you don't have a watch, you can place your iPhone or iPad on the mattress near your pillow. Pillow will automatically detect and analyze your sleep patterns, and you can review last night's sleep report right on your watch with heart rate analysis and more. Pillow uses an advanced sleep cycle analysis algorithm based on the latest scientific findings in sleep research. You can view detailed heart rate graphs and a sleep stage diagram that shows how you transition from being awake to going into REM, light sleep, and deep sleep stages. And Pillow integrates with the Apple Health app to update your sleep metrics in the health database as well. You can even use Pillow as a smart alarm clock that aims to wake you up at a time when you're in the lightest possible sleep stage, so you can start your day fresh and relaxed. Record noises of the night, so you can hear things like snoring, sleep apnea, and sleep talking. Simply put, Pillow is the best sleep tracker for your Apple Watch, iPhone, and iPad. And exclusively for Happy Hour listeners, you can use offer code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription of Pillow Premium. Find out more at pillow.app. That's pillow.app. Pillow, sleeping better, made simple. Apple says there are now a thousand apps in the Vision OS App Store, which I guess is an impressive number. We started at 600 when Vision Pro launched on February 2nd, and now we're up to a thousand. 
One thing I will say though, having a Vision Pro and using it and using the Vision OS App Store, it's kind of hard to just find a list or find a way to quickly view all of the apps specifically optimized for Vision OS. The main page of the App Store is just like the curation, the lists of best entertainment apps, some of which are Vision OS optimized and some of which are just the iPad app. Oh, does it kind of blend together the iPad? It blends apps? it all together. Yeah, because because well, yeah, if you if Apple said look at all the great entertainment apps for Vision OS, you'd have a few, but somebody goes, huh? I want to use Netflix. Or, well, not Netflix because Netflix isn't available at all. But I want to <laughs> use I don't even know what is a entertainment Peacock? app. Peacock. Yeah, that's a good one. Who wants to use Peacock? But uh, yeah. But either way, you get my point. That it yeah. blends all the iPad and Vision OS apps together. And it seems like some of the curation hasn't been updated since Vision OS launched two weeks ago. But if you can find them, Apple says there are 1,000 apps available. And the, you know, the headline numbers are always like headline numbers. But of the 1,000, how many are actually like good and how many are just there because right. someone yeah. just shipped their thing? Like There was a funny thing running up to launch that... Uh, Somebody tweeted that on the Vision Pro App Store there was a haptic feedback tester app. Which oh, nice. Played all the different types of haptic feedback you can get. But it was just a port of the iPad app, right? But with a Vision OS glass background. So it was Vision OS native. But here's the kicker you can't get any haptic feedback on a Vision Pro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has no feedback <laughs> motor. So. I don't know if the app got pulled or not, but at least at launch, that was one of the 600. <laughs> it's literally an app that doesn't function. So, uh, yeah, there obviously is a bit of like, I don't want to call it spam, but you know what I mean? Just low quality. Like, low quality, yeah. Yeah, stuff that doesn't really make sense and people just want to be on the Vision Pro store because it's the cool new shiny place to be. Um, but at least a thousand is a number like, I, I, it'd be, they'd be pretty hard push not to get to a thousand just based on how many apps are in the normal app store and you know how much they push it to people. And a lot of the apps, even if they're not Vision, like they're not iPad apps, but they're basically iPad apps with the Vision Pro background effect. Do you know what I mean? Like, so they are Vision OS native, right. but it's not like yeah. the developers have taken that much time to really make Vision OS native designs. Like all the Apple first party apps are really well done in terms of, you know, built from the ground up, look different, work differently, optimized for the iPad, for the Vision Pro you know, look and tap experience. Like Photos is a great example, right? It looks nothing like the iPad app. Yeah. Um, obviously, Apple has a lot of its apps that are only in the compatible apps category too that they should sort out. But the native apps are like properly done. A lot of the thousand apps in the App Store, you can kind of see that they just kind of rebuilt from the iPad app and shipped that. But that's always going to happen regardless of what platform you're on. The same happens with the Mac too. Um, so here we are. At least it's a number that's going up. What really matters is whether people find quality applications that make them come back, right? And that kind of stuff will just take a long time to really roll out. Once you get outside of the scope of like video streaming apps, the, the other stuff requires a lot more investment in terms of making content, you know, making 3D assets, updating it, making sure it works with the hardware, especially some of the games, right? Like there's been a lot of criticism mm-hmm. that at launch the Vision Pro doesn't have many games. Well, A, some of the games require controllers to function right like like not um not like playstation expert controllers but like quest controllers where you hold them in your hands right? yeah if you're mm-hmm. trying to port like a vr game some of them just require too much precision for eye tracking and and pinching so you you need like hand controllers which the vision pro doesn't support then you've got a class of games which they could probably adapt it from using hand controllers to working via site 
but that takes time and you know not many developers have hands-on time with a headset yet so you've got to give them time to actually make those changes before they can ship it and then you have the class of apps that want you to walk around the room and vision os doesn't really like you doing that either so that class of apps also isn't just really going to be available so stuff so like a lot of the stuff that's on the quest right now um if it's not already owned by facebook because facebook also bought a lot of vr game developers right the yeah. stuff that's left behind it's not really a most of those are not a quick like we can just ship this on the vision pro 2 they've got to do device specific optimizations which take time and they might not be incentivized to do because they're only selling you know five hundred thousand a year or whatever so there's a lot of factors that affect this but they're about on as good track as i expect them to be given the pla- the thirty five hundred dollar platform that that's the only thing it can runs on right now well mark zuckerberg really thinks that the quest 3 is better than apple vision pro for some of the reasons you just talked about in terms of gaming and controllers and he posted this video to his instagram profile where he's attempting to look like a common man sitting on his couch just talking through that he got to try vision pro and he went into the experience thinking that his takeaway would be the quest 3 was a better value than apple vision pro but he claims to have walked away with the impression that not only is quest 3 is a better value but it's just better than apple vision pro i don't know about this i don't know about his arguments i don't know he there's some truth in it if you are wanting games it's it's yeah 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 there you go you know buy a quest like i don't think anyone's really pushing you on that like you know apple is rolling out some spatial games to the app store very slowly with apple arcade and stuff but they're not all the examples that apple likes to push are not the fully immersive experiences right the way you can you know like the half-life alex game is like compelling and it's only available on the quest because it doesn't really exist elsewhere and you need and a lot of the other VR games that exist on the that exist on like um, PSVR and stuff, they they right. require the processing power of the PlayStation, which has loads of graphics power, right? Well, far more than a Vision Pro headset does. For the Vision Pro, has like this different niche where all the games have to run locally on the GPUs of the actual hardware, and they don't support game controllers, i.e., hand game controllers, and the OS doesn't really like you walking around too much. <laughs> so there's different segments, right? So a lot of the current games that are out there aren't available because they're just not easy to port over without having hardware time, right? I.e. they have to wait for the developers to get their hands on the things to now see if they want to invest in it. One of his arguments is that there's always an open versus, versus closed platform. So on smartphones, Apple One and Apple is the closed platform with the iPhone and Android is the open platform. And he he seems to think that Vision Pro will be could be the closed platform in the mixed reality headset space, and Meta will be the open platform. That doesn't make any sense at all to me, because Meta is not an open platform necessarily. Like I couldn't build my own headset then run the MetaQuest operating system on my headset. It's not open, and I don't really know how much more open it is than the Apple Vision Pro. Ecosystem. Well, you can sideload apps, I guess. That's There's, true. It is more open in that regard, but it's not It's not the equivalent of Android. Yeah, d- just wait till the Vision Pro goes to the EU, then you can sideload yeah, apps. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of his decision to like post this video? Oh, it- I kind of respected it. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. So many CEOs just kind of like have corporate speak and they just don't acknowledge the competition. Like Apple, right? Like Tim Cook would never they, do They this. won't mention the word Quest ever. You know, yeah. like you're not going to get Jim Greg Jones react and say, this thing sucks. <laughs> so I thought it was quite funny and kind of cool that he came out there and at least put his, put his face on the line, you know? Like, 
it takes some confidence and some guts to do that. So I do respect it. But what do you expect him to say? He's not going to say, well, my product's not very good. Like, like I think he, he acknowledged that the eye tracking on the Vision Pro was good, right? And he said, well, basically said, we're going to bring that to our headsets again because they got rid of it. And he did acknowledge that the screens are very good. But what he said was, the screens on the Vision Pro are good, but to make that happen, they make trade-offs in terms of weight and you know bulk and physical size and battery life. Whereas we have a product where it still looks good in the you know in terms of the screens, but we you know you can wear it on your face for longer periods of time. The battery is integrated; you don't have a cable coming down, which is not like I don't think it's unfair. That's literally describing the trade-offs of what Apple did, yeah. right? Um, is it stupid that he's like, well, I don't worry about Apple at all because because that probably is true, right? Because it's like that. I mean, that's probably not true because Apple isn't shipping this thing and it's a one and done process. If you look at Apple as the in, as the venture into virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, clearly they're going to be a big competitor and big threat to Meta's business, who right now control one hundred percent of the market. Essentially, the Vision Pro itself, this current iteration of hardware this current instance of product doesn't really pose a threat to the quest 3 it's just a different ecosystem right different different strata of of money people that are buying a lot of people who even have the money to buy vision pro you know it's not like they're getting rid of their quest because they got vision pro they got both and they use the quest to play some fun games and run around and do fitness stuff and they're using the vision pro to enjoy you know 3d movies and stuff in the evening and maybe get some actual work done so it's kind of different different spokes for different folks kind of deal a lot of people contrast it to the steve barmer thing with the original right. iphone i feel like the barmer thing is will be laughed at more than zuckerberg with a quest thing because the vision pro isn't a mass consumer product it's just not i don't think anyone would test it apple if you got apple to speak truthfully they wouldn't say it either it's high-end first iteration with a lot of design decisions that aren't really accommodating to the people that buy a Quest 3 to play some fun games on. And I'm sure in the future, you know, two years, three years, five years, around how long it takes, Apple will have a product range and one of them will directly compete with the Quest. And yes, it will still be more expensive because every Apple product is more expensive than the competition, but it will then actually accommodate, you know, games and fitness and everything else. And then we'll have an actual contest. Right now, it's like saying, if you try and say the Vision Pro is bad, it's kind of like saying the MacBook Pro is bad because you could buy a MacBook Air that basically does everything a MacBook Pro does and it's a lot cheaper. And it's like, well, that's, you know, it's not a very fair comparison because clearly there are areas where the MacBook Pro is better or it does the same things, just doesn't better. And, but value for money, you'd say the MacBook Air wins every single time, right? So that's kind of where the quest lands at the moment. And Zuckerberg has a pretty reasonable position to say, right now, we already have the ecosystem. We have the more apps. We have more games. We have content that you want. Um, he even mentions how Xbox Game Pass right now is only natively available on Quest and not on Vision Pro. Completely true. These are just true facts. They might not be true in a month's time or two months' time or six months' time, but they're true right yeah. now. And that's what it is. Here, we're coming, we're the incumbents here. We have price competitive products that's seven times cheaper than the thing Apple's currently shipping. So we think we're going to be pretty good. And you can't really argue with that, I would say. It is such a contrast to Apple's Apple's refusal to even acknowledge Meta and the Quest. Because you remember the interview where Greg Joswiak was asked his response to the word metaverse. And all he could say was, it's a word I'll never use. (laughs) Then Tim Cook said, he doesn't think the average person could tell you what the metaverse is. It's just such a stark contrast. But it's Apple at Apple's best or worst, depending on how you look at it. They enter a category. 
They make the best product. There's competition, sure, but you wouldn't know it if you were in the Apple world. Yeah, and which product at the Vision and the Quest would you buy if you want to really enjoy 3D movies and Hollywood TV shows and, you know, on a big screen? Clearly, you would buy the Apple one because the displays are the priority there, right? The Vision, the the Quest isn't, just has lower quality screens, so it doesn't look as good. And he mentions the pass-through, right, as well. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he even films the... Like, the video is filmed from a quest, right? So, like, you get a... Vi- like, it's quite a nice marketing because you see the quests pass through basically by looking at the video, right, that shows Zuckerberg. And I think you can quite easily say that the Vision Pro passer is better than the Quest one is. He kind of overlooks that slightly and says, well, we still offer a good pass through yeah. experience, right? But obviously, it's seven times cheaper, so, you know, you've got to give it some leeway. So, I think it will hold up better than this, the, the Barmer quote for the, for the original iPhone. Because I think the original iPhone immediately started cutting into the Windows mobile market, right? Vision Pro does not immediately cut into the Quest market in the same way because they're starting at a very different end of the, of the spectrum. One last thing I will mention is um, Zuckerberg references the hand tracking. He says that the hand tracking is actually better on Quest than on Vision Pro. I've never used a Quest, so I don't know if that's true or not. But I have heard developers be slightly disappointed with the lag of the Vision Pro hand tracking. So really? if you are trying to do frantic games where you move your hand around, that is something to be aware of. Um, so, and definitely something that probably Apple will work on for future generations. Also, if you do watch videos on YouTube or whatever of the passer experience, the masking, the occlusion of the hands over the in virtual content is good on the Vision Pro, but it's not perfect, right? Like you move your hand quickly and it shows the background. It doesn't stick perfectly to masking your fingers out. So obviously there's, there's um, progress there. For Apple to work on. Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Incogni. Get an exclusive 60% discount at incogni.com slash happy hour. You might not know that there are hundreds of commercial databases and people search sites that hold your personal information. They aggregate data like your name and aliases, social security number, home address, online activity, and more. And all of this is made available for purchase by business and could fall into the hands of criminals. In a nutshell, your personal information is being sold or published online without even knowing about it. Now, you have the legal right to protect your privacy and request data brokers delete the information that they hold about you. But the bad news is that would actually take you ages to do that. I mean, manually. And that's just once. You have to keep repeating the process every few months as new data brokers continue collecting data and creating new records about you. So Incogni is the solution. They do all the work on your behalf. You sign up, you tell them what personal data you want removing, and you let them handle it. They contact data brokers on your behalf to request your data is removed. They deal with any objections, keep you updated, and they keep protecting your data privacy for as long as you use the service. So sign up now and they maintain your data privacy. Check them out right now at incogni.com slash happy hour and get 60% off your subscription with promo code happy hour. That's spelled I-N-C-O-G-N-I dot com slash happy hour. Promo code happy hour. Thanks to Incogni for sponsoring the show. Vision OS 1.1 beta is here. Came last week and we got beta 1 last week and beta 2 this week. One of the changes Apple highlights is support for MDM or mobile device management solutions. I guess this is a thing some people care real, care quite a bit about, and it wasn't in Vision OS 1.0, but it's here in 1.1. Yeah, it's targeting business, right? Yeah, which is a big market that Apple keeps focusing on for Vision Pro. Because things like um, 3D modeling or like product development, 
are probably pretty good on the Vision Pro. And yeah, you know, companies have money to buy more expensive things. So if something's <laughs> if something's three times better but costs seven times as much, there's a much better compelling case there for a business to buy it than an individual consumer. So I think it would be quite popular in enterprise in those niches, right? Like if you're developing, like they use the F1 car example in jig space all the time, right? You can imagine that the F1 companies are like, well, we're making a new design. Here it is. You can show the CEO. Just put this headset on. We'll preview what it looks like. Great. We'll move on with our lives. I know um, some supercars, they already use, I think they use HoloLens. You, so if, oh, you, if you're yeah. like rich enough to be able to buy a supercar and you, you like design it yourself, you say what pin, paint trim you want, what color you want it to be, what, you know, adornments and extras and options you want on top well when you go to the off when you go to the for factory the office where you go and pick it up before you commit they can show you in a headset like these are all your choices this is how much it's going to cost what do you think and you kind of look around and you preview it that is a perfect example where apple's going to sell a vision pro now like because a it's the vision pro is way more stylish than any of the previous headsets so it looks cool right in the in the office environment and the quality of the screen really really matters so that's an enterprise use case and having MDM support actually makes that viable because trying to do manual, you know, device environment and management just gets way out of hand once you're more than like one because, you know, they're all paired to individual Apple IDs. If you have MDM, you can deploy a fleet of them. They can be configured remotely. Like all the stuff that makes iPhone and iPad and Macs possible in the enterprise will now be possible with Vision OS with 1.1. And there were people who bought Vision Pro and were unable to access like their work email and contacts and calendar on Vision Pro without that support for MDM. So that's a nice change. Did you see the story of the hospital that bought like 30 or 40 Vision Pros in San Diego? No, I didn't see that actually. planning to like distribute it to doctors and surgeons. It didn't seem like they had a clear roadmap on how exactly they're going to use them, but it was a cool, I thought it was a cool example of somebody taking the leap and just diving off the deep end to try and see where Vision Pro can fit in a world like that. Yeah, I mean, Vision Pro 1.0 will be defined by niches, right? Like, it's not mainstream, it's not an all-in, it's not a computer that can do everything great and necessarily better than a laptop and stuff, but there are clearly cases where having something that you can put on your face and get an immersive experience of 3D models in general, right, uh, is way better than just staring at a 2D photo on a laptop screen. And so many of those niches come from enterprise from from enterprise cases or business cases and this is where this will be applicable so apple's going to push this i'm sure they can't wait to do a press release about like you know the vision pro saved someone's life because a doctor (laughs) was able to do remote surgery from a million miles away but that's how these things start like even the iphone right like it, it was popular like it's not a perfect analogy but like the iphone started with the app store started with niches i mean the original um conception wwc 2008 it had like a doctor app where they could check like x-rays and charts on the go and stuff like all of this stuff comes from many different angles it's about building an ecosystem you can't get a product sustain itself alone on you can watch tv shows on it you know yeah. like, that's a huge draw and a huge use case but it's not like these things are pe- a massive jigsaw of different functionality that comes together in so many different ways and the vision pro price point will mean that some of those different jigsaw pieces will be more appealing depending on what industry you're in. And that's what will happen, at least for the first few versions of the, of the hardware. Even today on like Apple earnings call, you always hear Luca Maestri talk about this company, X, Y, and Z, just deployed fleets of the new MacBook Pro to its entire workforce. Or American Airlines has deployed 10,000 iPhones to its flight attendants for in-flight purchases, even today. Yeah, and part of that's because 
iPhones, iPads, Macs are already so popular with consumers that the enterprise is a growth area for them, right? So if they can get more more of a base in enterprise, then that's a growth growth possibility. Like you can't they're they're running out of people to sell iPhones to, you know, <laughs> like yeah. in terms of general consumers. So, it, but if you can sell ten thousand in one go to a company, then that that will make a difference on the balance sheet. Vision OS 1.1 also seems to make some pretty dramatic improvements to personas. So when I updated to Vision OS 1.1 beta, it reset my persona entirely. So I had to re-go go through the scan of my face and my hands. And the outcome was better for me. But I've seen some other people like uh, Quinn Nelson, his comparison from his persona in Vision OS 1.0 versus 1.1. It's a dramatic change, yeah, a dramatic improvement. That bodes well that we're seeing such a big change just from a 0.1 update. It kind of makes you wonder why they weren't able to ship what's in 1.1 as part of 1.0. I think the hardware had already been delayed so much from getting the software ready to ship out the door that at some point you just have to cut it and be like, well, this is what we're shipping. (laughs) Like They can, personas will also get just dramatically better as Apple collects more data and gets feedback from people about how their persona looks looks wonky. And so I imagine that feedback's not even really included in the improvements we're seeing in 1.1. Oh, no. 1.1 would have been done in January, like, or Feb, you know, early Feb, like before the product came out, 100%. So I really do think we'll see personas get better and better at a pretty quick pace over the coming months with 1.1 and, and well beyond. Yeah, you mentioned Quinn Nelson, and his, his example, it was substantial. There is always a bit of variance in terms of, like, because even on the you know the 1.0 software, you can take a persona capture five different times, and sometimes you roll the dice and it's slightly better, you know. So like, there's that variance there. But also, what something Quinn uh, brought up is that on a FaceTime call, because he has a beard, the f- the cameras of the Vision Pro can't always see when he's talking. So although his rendering's better for the persona, a lot of the time it sits there without his mouth moving. Yeah. So hopefully, there's something they can do about that. Um, Mike Hurley has had the same problem he's talked about, and. Mm, it seems to be a problem specifically because of beards or long yeah, beards. Yeah, because he like uh, Quinn did a demo where, like, if he talked normally, then his persona was just sitting there dormant, right, like not moving. But if he like enunciated his words, are like, making his mouth do bigger movements? Then yeah, it could then it could show it happening, uh, and it worked fine. So hopefully, there's some software stuff they can do there where they can kind of look past the beards or not, or. At worst, it will be like a future hardware thing where they add more cameras at different angles so they can get past beards. But you have to assume that Apple was at least aware of this uh, ahead of time because yeah, not everybody in Cupertino is beardless. There was a weird story from Bloomberg about how if you forgot your Vision Pro passcode and wanted to reset to factory settings, you'd have to take it to an Apple store to have that done in Vision OS 1.0. So Vision OS 1.1 and also now Vision OS 1.0.3 let you reset without going to an Apple store if you forget your passcode. It will still have activation lock enabled, obviously, so you can reset, but you'll have to sign in with your Apple ID when you boot back up. Kind of a weird omission from 1.0. I just think it's just another example of Apple just being like, right, we're fed up of waiting. This thing's coming out the door February yeah. 1st, basically. You know, we're shipping this thing. Oh, you, and- you can't reset your password? Okay, well, we'll let you do it in the Apple store if someone really forgets their password in the week until we can ship out <laughs> 1.0.3. <laughs> I can, something tells me that the people buying Vision Pro are not the type of people to forget their passcode either. Yeah, so I generally agree with that. I wonder if anybody, if that actually happened to anybody. There's also a change that lets you bring virtual 3D objects closer, sort of in the Vision Pro space. 
So Apple, I'll read Apple's exact wording of this. Near user boundary for volumetric scenes have been modified. Users will now be able to reposition volumetric scenes much closer than before, which will enable easier direct interactions with the volumetric scene content. Yeah, so Vision OS has three types of app scene, basically. You've got the 2D plane, which is like the Windows, right? Right. You've mm-hmm. got full immersive thing, which is where it takes up your entire surroundings. The Disney Plus Theater is an example of that, right? Um, or like the Encounter Dinosaurs app. Uh, then in between those two, there's the volumetric volumes, right? A volume scene. And a volume is right. either like a cube or a sphere of space, which is three-dimensional, and can sit alongside other app windows, either other volumes or other 2D windows. And uh, some a lot of the spatial games are like that, like the um, Cut the Rope one, right? That's a volume, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like a 3D model that sits in midair, but it doesn't take over your whole, your whole environment. Um, and so on 1.0, there's like a minimum distance where you can drag those volumes to. So basically, you can't make them super close to you. Yeah. Not 100% sure why that was in place, but in 1.1, they've got rid of that limitation. So now you can bring them really close. And it also means you can now directly interact with them like you can do with 2D windows. You know, where you can do like an, a, an iPad, a virtual iPad in the air by swiping and touching and scrolling. So I installed the Vision OS 1.1 beta. As soon as it came out, I took the plunge. And as I was going through that process, I had a moment of not panic, but like, huh, if something fails while I'm updating to Vision OS 1.1, I'm screwed. Like, I'll have to go to an Apple store and have them reset it somehow. So during that process, literally while my Vision Pro was updating to 1.1, I bought Apple's $300 developer strap. <laughs> so this... <laughs> Which, by this, the way, just a quick call back to the Zuck comments earlier. That's two thirds of the price of a yeah. MetaQuest, just the developer strap. <laughs> Those comparisons are endless, though. You could say the 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 Vision Pro travel cases, whatever. A third. Oh no, but third. it is funny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and what the developer strap does is you remove the right. Well, it includes a probably the most fancy like sim ejector tool you've ever seen in your life. Shiny, just beautiful. Then you, there's a little hole on the inside of the headset on the right side, and you push in the pin, and then you pull out on the right, like strap, like the audio pod strap, if that makes sense. And you pull, that pops out. Then you connect the developer strap to that same hole, and it adds a USB C port to your Vision Pro. Mainly meant for people actually making apps for Vision Pro for, for building and testing their apps. I am not doing that. It seems like it's also capable of some Thunderbolt speeds and some some sort of better data connectivity, but right now it's just a USB 2.0 device that I bought because it lets me factory reset Vision Pro <laughs> in case something goes wrong. <laughs> $300. So why would you ever want to downgrade from the beta? Funny you mentioned that. Mm, indeed. So I up- upgraded to 1.1 last week, used it from, what, Tuesday to Monday of this week. And I was getting frustrated because it's not an unstable beta in the fact that things crash and it reboots and things are like awful. But it's one of those things where there's just enough paper cuts throughout the beta to be to gradually like build up and start to infuriate you. And there are a couple of things specifically around window management and the gestures for window management that were driving me up a wall. So you'd look at the X button at the bottom of window to close that window and it would just freeze. You could do it like the whole interface didn't freeze. It would just get stuck on that X or it wouldn't show up at all on the X. 
dragging windows from the corners barely worked. There was a bug, which in Apple's defense, it was mentioned in the release notes where a control center just doesn't show up. So I'm constantly <laughs> like pushing my head up as, as hard as I can, trying to get the control center arrow to appear. It wasn't... And on, and on Vision OS, not having control center available is like a bigger deal than yeah. on the iPhone, <laughs> right? Because like you want to adjust your environment, you want to like quick access anything from when you're inside an application, you kind of want to go to control center. <laughs> you want to start the Mac OS virtual display feature from Vision yeah. Pro. That's up there. So yeah, I then... So on Monday, I connected my $300 accessory to my Vision Pro, used the, what is it, configurator, Apple configurator app on my Mac, downloaded the 1.0.3 IPSW from Apple's website, and restored it. Now I'm back on the stable channel for the time being. And then the next day, they brought out beta 2. Yeah, which I didn't install. I did not install that. But thankfully, it doesn't seem to have any new features or anything to speak of, really, so... It might be more stable, but there's nothing like there's nothing like wow. You should upgrade again immediately <laughs> to unlock this gesture or something that's not there yet. Yeah. I think the uh, equation will change once the betas start becoming more more juicy, feature rich. Yeah, yeah. Like as soon as uh, they I think add, one point one was mostly about adding the MDM support for enterprise and adding all the um, APIs and features that were because basically the Vision OS one point zero is equivalent to like iOS seventeen point two. And so what a big part of 1.1 is on the yeah. engineering side is catching up to 17.4, just in terms of all the APIs that were added in the meantime, all the little features that you wouldn't really think of that don't really show up on Vision OS, but basically just making it so that an iPad app can be fully compatible when you run it or like your code base can work. So that seems to be the priority for 1.1, at least as of beta 2, is MDM support and then just bringing, syncing up the branches so Vision OS will then be able to move forward in sync with the rest of Apple's operating systems. One other Vision Pro thing I wanted to get your opinion on, the ongoing narrative that there are a lot of people returning their Vision Pro to Apple. So we're coming up, as we record this, tomorrow is two weeks since Vision Pro launched, which means the two-week, 14-day return window is ending for those people who got it on launch day. And there seems to be a narrative that there are a lot of people returning it. And I think there are more people than would normally return like a new iPhone or a new Mac. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I don't think it's as bad as some of the some of the headlines we've seen. I don't think Apple has like a problem on its hands. I don't. I mean, the who know, like it's hard to know, right? It's what, hard only to Apple know. Apple knows yeah. these percentages. Like only Apple knows how many people bought a Vision Pro and then returned it. How many people bought a Vision Pro, returned it because they didn't like it, they didn't get any use of it, or it just didn't fit them in terms of comfort, right? Like a lot of people return it just because it's too heavy on their face or whatever um and then you don't know how many people have done the demo and then wanted to buy it right we don't know the conversion rate yeah. or anything so it's hard to say from the outside about reception all of this comes back to the fact though that apple doesn't have many to sell like they've only got about five hundred thousand of the whole year so if it was a smash success they'd actually have a truck they actually have a problem right so like in a way it doesn't matter if a lot of people return them because they're not really expecting to sell that many anyway at the moment. Like it's, it's, it's kind of a weird equation, but you can't like. It was called Vision Pro for a reason, right? And early adopters jumped on the train because it's it's fun and it's new technology or whatever. And then they take it back within two weeks. It's not an indictment of the product category. It's just a reality of the. This thing costs thirty five hundred dollars. Like you know, some people are excited to get on board, and then if they want to send it back, go for it. Like I'm not. I'm not judging anyone. Apple gives you a two-week return policy and you use it. There you go. Like, there's a difference when, like, 
let's say the, the let's say the Apple Watch in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. If that had really high return rates when it came out, that would be more alarming because that product, the first generation, is far closer to the product that is the mainstream consumer device, i.e. people were expected to use it all year round from the very beginning. This thing is just not that. It just isn't. Like it's niche. It's a niche product. It's called a it's called Vision Pro. Like <laughs> and it's really expensive. And it only has a two-hour battery life and it has all these downsides and drawbacks. Um and then obviously it has the cool stuff too. So like you can't you can't make any extrapolations about the success of the Apple Vision product line based on this product. I think it's probably no. sold too much, right? There were some reports that it sold 100,000, 200,000 in the opening weekend. Sounds like they, they oversold it. Like, people that bought that probably were expecting more, and it doesn't deliver that because it doesn't. So I don't see it as, like, a, a bad thing. It's just a reality, like, to use a pun of reality. It's just like, <laughs> were, you know, people were excited about Apple getting to this product category, but what they've come out with is not a mass consumer device. And some mass consumers would have been sucked in by the pretty mark in the pretty pictures and then they regret it and they actually want to spend that much money on something else. They go for it. Like, I, it's not a... I guess what I'm trying to get at is like the second generation Apple Watch was very, very similar to the first generation Apple Watch, right? So if people had problems with the first generation Apple Watch, then that's kind of bad because the second and third gens aren't going to fix with their problems. The Vision Pro, I don't think is going to be like that. I think the second generation hardware and software is going to be significantly different and the third generation will be significantly different from that. So the trajectory is just different. And so returns or complaints or people saying that this thing's stupid and useless don't really apply. And you don't have any financial pressures because Apple's one of the richest companies on earth so they can just be okay with this version being small scale. Is, am I being too charitable to them there? I don't know. Like the my I don't think my so, one question no. about this is like, what can you criticize them about? Like, so because you yeah. can't use that excuse like forever because at some point the rubber hits the road. But I think at least right now, in terms of how many people buy it and keep it, it's not the biggest metric in the world. I also just think the people returning it are just very vocal about it. I think there are some people who bought Vision Pro knowing full well from the start that they were going to return it, regardless of how much they liked it. Whether they bought it just to get like a 14-day demo or they bought it to make content and show it off, they were always planning to return it because, A, they don't really think... They knew from the start it wasn't going to be good for them in terms of comfort. And it's expensive, or, like... And it's just... Yeah, that was my next point, is it's just expensive. You've got to get value out of something that's $3,500 to justify keeping it. And maybe you saw the demos and you saw the products and you saw the reviews and you're like, I'm actually going to use this for this and this. I'm really excited about it. I'll buy it. A week goes by, you get buyer's remorse. You realize, well, it doesn't quite do what I want it to do. And then you just return it, right? Okay. Like, ideally, the product yeah. will be better so that you don't have no reason to return it. But that's just not the state of affairs it is right now. And I don't think, but I don't think good or bad, it really speaks anything about the vision as a product like i think some people like to see oh they only sold this many thousand of them and half the people returned it as like well vision um you know virtual rally or many rally it's all stupid it's never going to work like that you can't draw that conclusion from in my opinion you can say that the current vision pro is a niche product that's only meant to be bought by very few people and i would 100 percent agree with you and that means that some people that bought it probably shouldn't have and so now they're returning it which is perfectly fine but you can't say just because the returns are high, right? The yeah. Apple Vision product line is doomed or stupid or a failure. 
I don't know. I think a lot of people are returning it because they watched a video of Mark Zuckerberg sitting on his couch saying the quest was better. So. <laughs> yeah, Mark Zuckerberg's definitely in the returns category. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs recognizes that your small business success depends on the team that you surround yourself with. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Find quality professionals that are right for the role. Behind every great business is great people, and as you are growing your team, it's so important to have high-quality candidates to interview so you know that you're ultimately hiring the best person for the job. And LinkedIn makes it so easy to find them. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It is ubiquitous and the place you want to be for your job to be seen, with a vast network of more than a billion professionals. I know when my brother was looking for work last year, LinkedIn is the first place he went to to find a job. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. It's quite simply the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates available. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and always stretch for time and resources. But the hiring process with LinkedIn is intuitive, quick and easy. Anyone can do it, even in a pinch. So find the right team member to accelerate your business's growth and achieve your goals in 2024. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. So we talked about iOS 17.4 and all of the European Union changes, the app marketplaces. In iOS 17.4, there's also now a pop-up for for users in the European Union. It says, welcome to the App Store, a safe and trusted place to discover amazing apps and games. The timing of this news is a little bit funny, a little bit ironic, because in the past week, we've seen two stories of Apple's app review seemingly failing to catch some apps that clearly go against its guidelines. The more notable one, I think, was LastPass. Not LastPass, LastPass. Basically, an imposter version of the password manager LastPass. It didn't seem like LastPass was attempting to steal your information or hack your passwords or anything like that. They were just wanting to get you to sign up for an in-app subscription to something that's not LastPass. Is that your read on it too? Yeah, they were trying to trick you into thinking you're buying from the brand LastPass, but it's actually yeah. just this rip-off LastPass. But yeah, it could have been worse in that they could have like stolen the password you type in there and exactly, then use them yeah. to take your bank info and you know steal all your money or something. It doesn't seem like that happened. It was just a... We're going to uh, exploit the brand popularity of LastPass by reducing, releasing an app that almost looks the same called LastPass. <laughs> the only difference being one letter. And app review should probably have flagged it, right? Because LastPass is a very popular application. And this, this clearly was in violation. This seems like a pretty bad... Apple, if you, I mean, if you ask Apple, they would say that copyright and trademarks aren't, aren't like... They're policing, and you can file a complaint, and you'll get removed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like it, in a perfect system, this shouldn't get released. I don't think you can really argue about that, especially because, like you said, it could have been so much worse. Did App Review like say, "Huh, this looks like LastPass"? I'm going to download it and see if it wants all my passwords from a privacy and security standpoint. And if it doesn't, I'll approve it. It's like, what was the logic there, you know? What was the logic between thinking this was a legitimate app that should be available? Especially for, like, even if it wasn't um, 
trading on the name, LastPass. I feel like any password manager app should get more scrutiny from App Review than yes, standalone application, just because it is explicitly dealing with more sensitive information. And if you want a store that is safe and trusted, that's one of the policies you might want to worry about. And it's like other copyrights, they on trademarks, they 100% crack down on like releasing anything with Disney in the name. Immediately, you don't want to get through. Uh, but for whatever reason, this one got through the cracks. The other one, the other situation from this week, I think it's more funny than anything else. It was an app called Kimmy, and it disguised itself as an app that tests your eyesight. In reality, you just downloaded it, opened it for the first time, and it was just like a catalog of every pirated movie or TV show you could imagine. And it was a good-looking app, too. It had trending movies and TV shows, curated lists, most popular lists, a search function, a ranking function. It was literally like Netflix, but unfettered free access to movies and TV shows. Yeah, so the screenshots for this one didn't show the pirate netflix right they showed screenshots of a different application which seemed to be like a spot the differences kind of thing with two photos and you had to like see what was different hence the vision testing side of life (laughs) um but then obviously when you downloaded it it didn't do anything what the screenshots the description described it just gave you access to pirate content which is obviously not allowed on the app store and this app was released in september of 2023 so it sat around for five months with I'm sure some people were using it, but not enough to like... I wonder if in this case, there was like a remote switch. So the app that was submitted to the store did match the screenshots. And that's what got approved. And then it sat there for a few months. And then, you know, maybe in December, they switched it and they made it a pirated content store with ads or whatever. Because generally the app store is pretty... I mean, they always make mistakes, right? But overall... They're pretty good at rejecting apps that don't look like the screenshots. So, like, they run That's the app, true. and if it yeah. doesn't look like the screenshots, it gets cut out. So, I imagine what happened here is the app did actually function as it looked like in the screenshots when it was reviewed. And then at some point, they either did an app update which changed it, or remotely they switched it around. That does kind of undermine some of the App Store security model, right? Because if you can just change how the app works behind the scenes, does it matter about review in the first place anyway? Critics of the app review process would say that. That's exactly what Epic Games did too when they added yep. the direct buy option and got booted from the App Store. That was yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's no way for Apple to police that kind of stuff. Anyone can put secret features in an app and activate them remotely. And they can do stuff where it's like time box, so like it only happens in a month's time or you, know, you have to wait for a server to return a different value. In the same way that Netflix can release any movie to the Netflix movies to the Netflix catalog without Apple having any involvement, yeah, an app can change its functionality as long as it's coded to do that. So there's no way for Apple to technically block this ever, right? They just have to police it. Um, so if you think that's a problem, then you kind of argue against the app review process altogether. But at least this one, assuming that is what happened, I have more sympathy for app review, right? Because yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think LastPass they they just dropped the ball. <laughs> I liked that one of the most, pretty much the most common, the only response to our coverage of Kimmy was people asking if there were any other apps like this on the App Store. Yeah. <laughs> people wanting to know how to find out about this stuff before it gets pulled. One narrative overarching point here. There are some people that say, well, because apps like these get through onto the store, Apple shouldn't be allowed to run the App Store as a monopoly. That thinking no, is slightly that's... wrong. Because... Even if Apple was the best 
possible purveyor of the app store and made no mistakes and only released apps that would play with the guidelines and ne- never scams or rubbish got through, they're still a monopoly. They're just a better, better behaved monopoly. <laughs> so, like, you know, even if they did have a thousand more app reviewers policing the store and it was perfect, the EU and the US government and everybody else would still come to them and tell them they've got to open up and, you know, not take 30% of every cut. It just makes individuals feel better about it if they do behave better. So, kind of in a way, it doesn't matter. This is funny timing, but whether these kind of instances happened or not, the App Store would still get dinged for being monopolistic. And there are probably thousands and thousands of cases where Apple does catch this stuff and well, we exactly. only there's, hear. There's hundreds of thousands of apps submitted to the store every week. Like, in fairness, a lot of the time they seem to do a pretty good job and they do reject yeah. stuff and they do look at stuff and they do catch things. But yes, stuff does, does get through the cracks. And in some, I think the biggest, the biggest problems I see with the app review process is when there's like something scammy that stays on the like the top paid chart for like days. Like I don't understand. We cover some of this stuff on the, on Nine for Facts sometimes. You know, like those heart rate apps that supposedly like yeah. check your fingerprint or whatever, but that literally don't work. Like and it costs fifty dollars a week. Yeah, and and fifty dollars a week subscriptions. That kind of rubbish. Like if something's on the top grossing charts, the top paid or the top free charts. It sh- and it's scammy, it shouldn't stay there. Like, they should have somebody or a group of people that all they do is they just monitor the top charts, right? Anything that pops on the top chart, they should check it out. It shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a case where something can stay like that for a long time. And so even in the Kimi case, it was, let's say, you know, they legitimately reviewed it properly originally and then surreptitiously the functionality got changed out behind them. Well, because everyone started realising that this is what you could get in it, Kimmy was starting to rise up the App Store charts. It ended up at number 46 for free apps. Yeah. So by that point, it should get caught and removed. It shouldn't take The Verge or, you know, us doing a, a, a story about it for it, to, for it to go away. So that's where I think Apple falls down. They need to be more vigilant about policing the stuff that's getting popular. Like, do the app review process and then have continuous checks for the top 500 apps of paid, free, and grossing. I think Kimmy actually peaked at, like, number 12 or something. Which is just, if you're not going to do the top 500 apps, at least do the top 25 or something. (laughs) One other, so Apple earnings were last week, and we are going to dive into the specific numbers, but... It was a bit boring, but yeah. yeah. A couple of interesting interesting comments from Tim Cook and Luca Maestri, one of which being that the App Store business in the European Union accounts for around 7% of Apple's global App Store revenue. I think my takeaway from this is that... Was Apple trying to like tell investors that it's not worried about the changes it's making in the European Union to the App Store? It doesn't think those changes will have a big hit on services revenue. And I wonder too if it was partially Apple saying that that's why we're not fighting it harder. I mean, they don't have a choice ultimately. Yeah, I mean, they have fought it pretty hard, right? Like they have, yeah. They push back wherever they can. So, do you think the point of this comment was just them trying to ease the concerns? Yeah, of I think investors? it was to relieve any investor worry that like these changes were going to have a big impact on the next quarter revenue for instance right yeah and that if everybody took up the model apple wouldn't make its money anymore and basically what they're saying is it only accounts for seven percent of app store revenue right now so even if we lost all the money from the eu yeah. we're still making 93 percent of the money so they're basically like yeah you don't need to worry about this <laughs> if it hits the us right then it's more significant and as we've talked about, Apple has found its own way of cleverly monetizing the system that it's unveiled for the EU. 
yeah, they didn't say to investors that necessarily they were going to lose out, right? No, it's just they didn't like- make a comment one way or the other about whether the core technology fee structure would be, you know, cash positive or not. They basically just said, whichever way it lands, it's only 7%, so you don't need to worry about it too much. <laughs> the other interesting comment came from Tim Cook, who said, as we look ahead, we will continue to invest in these and other technologies that shape our future, including AI, where we continue to spend a tremendous amount of time and effort and we're excited to share details of our ongoing work in that space later this year. So pretty direct confirmation from Tim Cook that something AI-related is coming from Apple this year. Yeah, this shows to me that Apple is feeling a bit of the heat of the like AI bubble in the stock market at the moment, right? Like, you look at the investment market, NVIDIA, ARM, like all these names are like Microsoft. surging stock prices at the moment because of the AI hype train. People are ordering chips. People are wanting stuff. Like, it's going through the roof. Like, NVIDIA is, like, the third biggest company in the world now. Like, they overtook Google uh, because demand for AI hardware is just through the, through the roof. And, you know, Apple's stock price hasn't gone very far recently. Apple doesn't say about future products unless they really, no. really have to. And here's a case where they kind of have caved and they've been like, yep, yeah, we are doing AI stuff too, investors. <laughs> you know, don't worry, we're doing it. So this was just a very pointed example of, like, you know, Apple can be the biggest or second biggest company in the world, but mm-hmm. they still feel pressure in times and they clearly don't want to be seen as being left behind in terms of artificial intelligence stuff. And if you wanted any more confirmation that iOS 18 is going to have a big focus on AI features, well, here you go. And Tim Cook's go-to response to like whether Apple's investing in AI and if they're falling behind in the past has always been, here are all these great ways we already use AI and machine learning from the Apple Watch to the autocorrect in iOS 17. And I guess he realized that investors weren't really buying into that explanation anymore. And that was part of his reason for teasing whatever's coming this year. Yeah, there's AI and then there's AI, right? Like, all the stuff Apple's done today is in the is, is in one bucket of AI. All the, like, you can't say Apple has a chat GPT competitor or even like an answer to that because they just don't, right? And we expect they're going to have at least something based on generative large language models this year, probably exposed via a better Siri. The difference is that Apple's machine learning can help save your life on the Apple Watch, and then ChatGPT can just hallucinate and give you wrong information about the solar eclipse and random facts like that. (laughs) That is definitely something we have to look out for, right? Because if Siri does become LLM-backed, there's a chance that it will just tell you wrong information. So that's something that Apple's historically been very conservative about and not wanting to you know be as risky but if they are you know making pointed statements to investors maybe they're feeling the heat and will be a bit more blase about that kind of stuff we'll find out it'll be interesting finally this week happy hour is sponsored by we got your mac we got your mac is a new podcast that helps business insiders navigate the ever-changing world of using the mac in the workplace Go to wegotyourmac.com or search for We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts. Remember those iconic Apple ads of the mid-2003s? You know, like, I'm a Mac and I'm a PC. Well, while those ads harken back to simpler times, the debate of Mac versus PC rages on in the enterprise. And while Windows still dominates today, some analysts predict that the Mac will be the dominant business endpoint by 2030. Each episode of We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI, explores deployment of Mac in the workplace. From debunking security myths to attracting talent and overcoming adoption pains, you'll discover the up and downs of delivering Mac at scale. 
New episodes drop every two weeks, featuring interviews with experts at Apple, SHI, and from around the C-suite. So what are you waiting for? Make 2024 the year you put an end to the Mac versus PC question in your business. To tune in, go to wegotyourmac.com or search We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts. Search for We Got Your Mac in your podcast player of choice today. Thanks again to We Got Your Mac for sponsoring the show. The information reports that Apple is still working on foldable iPhones and iPads in a couple different forms. So this story I found a little bit confusing because it kind of switches between the Mm. work Apple's doing on foldable iPhones versus a foldable iPad mini. Do you want to tell us about the foldable iPhone part of this, Mayo? Yeah, so the information basically says that Apple is actively pursuing two iPhone prototypes in different sizes where the iPhone folds like a clamshell, i.e. it folds widthways, so like a flip phone Mm -hmm. kind of foldable design, like the Galaxy Flip. Um, And this project was in development from around 2018 when Tim Cook was apparently very excited about it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but then was kind of shelved around 2020 because some of the design goals couldn't be achieved at that time. But Apple's still working on it. And contemporaneously, they're also developing the foldable iPad mini thing. With the phone, uh, Apple's industrial design team apparently said that they wanted to create a device that is half as thin as current iPhone models so that when it's folded shut, it's about the same thickness. Because one of the problems with foldables right now is that when they are folded, they're pretty thick and bulky. Mm-hmm. Um, they also explored adding a screen on the outside so it can be seen when the device is folded. However, though that kind of statement kind of reminds me of some of the Apple Car stuff. Like, we just want to make a car, we yeah. don't need a steering wheel. <laughs> this is like, we just want you to make a foldable where it's still really thin. <laughs> it's like, well, you can say that, but can you actually do it? And at least so far, it doesn't seem like they've succeeded. Uh, so the practical realities of components like batteries and displays have made it difficult for engineering to reach the lofty goals of a, a foldable that's also half as thin as current phones. So unclear, like, what the status is now, as in, like, are they right, only ever yeah. going to release a foldable iPhone when they can make it half as thin? If that's the case, we'll be waiting many more years. Uh, the information <laughs> report certainly doesn't say, like, they're going to ship a foldable in 2020, blah, blah, blah. They would literally just say it's still in development. They don't give it a date. And obviously it's not coming this year or next year. Um, the information then, report makes it sound like they aren't like they've entirely shifted their focus to the iPad. That was a bit unclear to me. It kind of sounded to me like they're still kind of like working on it, but the, the foldable iPad had taken priority. Was kind of the specific line is Apple paused its work on foldable iPhones around 2020 and turned its attention to an inward folding iPad similar to the iPad, the size of an iPad Mini. Yeah, but at the top it says they're actively working on iPhone prototypes. So I don't know, like somewhere <laughs> in between. It's like I kind of got the sense that like. Originally, they were going to ship a foldable iPhone first. Now they're going to ship a foldable iPad first, but they haven't given up on making foldable phones as well. That was kind of how I summarized it. But it wasn't the most clear report. Yeah, because basically what they're saying is the foldable iPad project doesn't have the same industrial design constraints because it doesn't need to be super thin because it's not stowed in your pocket, right? It can be stowed in a bag. And it can be, it doesn't have the same requirements for durability because... Again, it's you know you're less likely to drop an iPad than a phone that you're carrying around all day long. So it seemed like a, a design that would be more amenable to the industrial design team requirements. Uh, the information says that Apple is making a inward folding iPad that's about the size of an iPad Mini, so about eight inches um, when closed, and so then it'd be about fifteen inches when folded open. 
Um, and the iPad could be allowed to be a bit thicker because and the Apple design team are like, well, if you're not going to store it in your pocket, it can be thin, <laughs> basically. I mean, but apparently sense. they do want them to work on ways to reduce the crease in the middle of the display that appears after folding many times, right? We've seen this in all the foldables to date. Uh, Apple wants its foldable to lie completely flat and not have a crease so that it can be freely interacted with and drawn on with accessories like Apple Pencil, which would obviously mm. be impaired if you had a crease down the middle. Again, it's unclear whether Apple's been successful at removing the crease. That's a bigger deal than the thickness, whether it's on an iPad or an iPhone, at least for me. I don't want to look at a crease in the middle every time I use it unfolded. Yeah. Yes. I can take the thickness because you are saving some size on the other dimensions. You know, it's a little bit thicker, but it's also the general footprint can be a little bit smaller. Yeah, you're carrying a bigger screen size when it's folded. Yeah, even though it's but slightly the crease thicker. Is a, the crease is a no-go. Yeah, the, the latest round of foldables, the crease is there, but, it is vis- but it's not super noticeable. So some people just yeah. put up with it, right? But you can imagine, especially if you're trying to use it to draw on with like an Apple Pencil, then it gets in the way. Uh, the problem is though, like, can they make a foldable to screen that doesn't crease? Can they make a self-driving car without pedals or a steering wheel? Well, no. So no, they gave up really. doing that. They just made one that is going to make a car anyway. So is that what's going to happen with the foldable iPad? They're like, well, we couldn't get rid of the crease, uh, so I guess we'll just release it anyway. <laughs> They're like, or is it, well, we're not going to release an iPad that folds until we can get rid of the crease completely. That part of the information story was not detailed. So we don't know. Do you, do you think, are you interested in the foldable stuff? Do you want them to make one? I'm interested in a foldable iPad of some sort, more so than an iPhone. But I think the pressure on Apple to do something foldable has kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. And right now, there doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of pressure. None of the Android folding smartphones have really caught on and gone mainstream. Yeah. It's still very much very much a niche market, a niche market that's very vocal and thinks every other manufacturer should make foldable phones. I can see myself using a foldable iPad, and I can't see myself willing to take the compromises to use a foldable iPhone. Just well, in, in terms Apple's, of... In Apple's fantasy land, there won't be any compromises. That is true, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, right? If you can make a foldable iPhone that is thin and doesn't crease and is durable, I would take it, but I just don't think it's... Well, yeah. ...near-term practical for that to exist. So, at some point, the fantasy has to hit reality, you know? Like... I'm not sure we've seen technology right now that can make a foldable iPhone that's thin, nor have I seen one that can make a foldable iPad that doesn't have a crease in it. So, you know, we're kind of in no man's land there in terms of next steps for Apple unless they can relinquish one of those design constraints. I'm kind of interested in it, though. Like, yeah, I don't have an iPad, right? So, but if I could have an iPhone that... I'm less interested in the the clamshell iPhone idea that folds in half. And more if you had one that was thin that could then open up to be double the size. So you'd have like, <laughs> you go from an iPhone 15 to like an iPhone to an iPad mini kind of size when it's unfolded. Because then you could be like, well, I'll just use that when I'm in bed when I want to read or watch something and then I can fold it up for the rest of the day. Um, the way it's described in the information report is that it's more like the Galaxy Flip or the Galaxy Fold, sorry, where it's like a clamshell and you unfold it. That I have less interest in. Just because I feel if I, if I want it to, because right now the iPhone 15 size, the 6.1 inch size, fits well in my pocket, right? So that's mm-hmm. what sits in the pocket. I don't really feel like I'm gaining much by having that being folded in half. Because 
the only thing I'm really gaining is that I can put something else in the same pocket, right? Whereas if it folded in the other dimension, at least you're getting a bigger screen. You know, you can take, you can carry it with you and then you can unfold it into a bigger display if you want to. So that, that axis is more appealing to me. If Apple can solve all the compromises about display creases and batteries and all of that, one of the biggest compromises for an foldable iPhone is still that you have to unfold it every time. Mm. It's not a huge, a huge limitation, but it is another step towards doing something on your phone. Well, some of the Android ones have an external screen too, right? They do. So you can use it unfolded. Like you can use it folded and then yeah, also use right. it unfolded. Yeah, that's to. true. That's a solution. I just don't know if that's any better than having just an iPhone with a 6.7 inch screen. Yeah, I also don't think you're getting close to a, a thin iPhone that also has a screen on the outside. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you're just adding more and battery implications. You know, it's all... That's the thing with the current foldables. You kind of look at them and you're like, they're kind of cool, but they're also kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> like, and like you yeah. said before at the start, Apple isn't feeling the fire of the market, right? Because right, yeah. the Samsung phones, they're around and they get shown a lot in the ads, but you don't really see them being bought that much. Part of that's just because they're expensive, like they're high end. Um, but equally, you don't feel like people are like begging to buy them. So they're not like, you know, it's not like um, in the iPhone 5, 5S days where Apple's losing screens, market share yeah. to Android phones with bigger screens, you know? Like, if anything, the iPhone's increased its market share in the last few years, despite foldables existing. So uh, there isn't the pull there for them to be like, well, we got to make one. So I guess that's why they're just kind of in this quasi-development experimental stage of, it would be cool if we could make one without these compromises, but so far we haven't been able to solve the compromises. I think the big takeaway either way from the information story is that if this ever materializes in a product, it's not happening anytime soon. The yep. latest Apple Car date is, what, 2026? Or 20... What is it? 2026? No, 28. 28, yeah. Maybe we'll see a foldable before then. <laughs> I, wouldn't bet, I wouldn't bet on it, though. <laughs> and finally this week, some Apple TV news. The Apple TV app has officially launched on Windows. It was available in preview for a while, wasn't it? And now it's out of preview? Yeah, it's been in preview for like the all of last year, basically. Um, so now you have the Apple Music app out of beta on Windows. You have the Apple TV app out of beta on Windows, and you also have that Apple Devices mm -hmm. Manager app thing. That's also out, available in full. I mainly just want to mention the TV app, uh, because now it's officially on Windows. That is the last holdout platform, uh, major platform that Apple isn't on, except for da -da 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 -da, Android phones. They're literally everywhere else apart from Android phones and tablets. Can you watch on the web on Android? I can't you remember. You can. You can. But the web experience sucks. <laughs> it's not very nice. It's A, a web browser experience, and B, Apple doesn't really care about the web app very much. So uh, all of the issues of the TV app are even worse on the website, to be honest. Uh, and it's like buggy and weird. But you can theoretically watch on the website. But still, they have an Apple Music app on Android. And it's very good. Mm. In some ways, it was better than the Apple Music app yeah. on the iPhone because <laughs> it had like features like Crossfade months before. Uh, but for some reason, they seem to be refusing to make a TV app for Android, which I just don't really understand. They have literally every other platform. They'll release a native TV app. But for Android, they, they're, they're not into it, which I don't really get. I mean, I've asked them about it, and they just say you can use the website. And it's like, well, you can, but <laughs> you could use the website for Apple Music, but you still feel interested and invested in making a native music app. And like the TV app 
you know, if it's native, it can do downloads and you can have all extra functionality. Like, there's just stuff there. And it just, like, I don't get why they don't do it. They're like, we'll, we'll invest in a Windows app, but an Android app, no. It's like, you can't tell me it's competitive, like, disadvantage for the iPhone, the, the TV app. Do you know what I mean? Like, and the whole point is the services business is meant to be their growth area, so they should have it on as many platforms as possible. Um, so I hope it changes, but there hasn't been any indication in that regard. On the Windows side of things, the iTunes app is still sticking around, particularly for playing podcasts and audiobooks. I imagine we're nearing, I don't know, do you think Apple has plans for those? How much longer is the iTunes brand on Windows really going to really going to live, live on? Yeah, not very long. It's basically in compatibility mode. Yeah, because the Apple devices, Apple TV and Apple Music app on Windows look pretty good. They look, I was surprised the Apple Music app, Apple Music app in particular, looks pretty much like a native version of the Mac app. Yeah, they do a pretty good job with it, yeah. And in some ways, the music apps not on the Mac are better than the music app, because the music app on the Mac is like iTunes, right? So it has some of the old quirks of iTunes, whereas the ones on other platforms are like just Apple Music clients. So if all you care about is streaming, then the other apps are actually better. Because unlike Apple TV, Apple Music actually has a pretty good web interface. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, That I imagine they can use as the basis for a lot of this. Because remember we talked about the Apple Music Tesla app is actually really good. Mm. So yeah, Apple Music's anywhere. Anywhere you want it. And TV's almost anywhere. Just not (laughs) on Android phones. Especially as they get more into sports. That is true. It's just such a limitation. It's like, you know, I mean, you could say that we made the same argument about Apple Originals as well, right? Like, they released it for Amazon Fire Stick. (laughs) Yeah. But they won't release it for the Android phone. Because the thing with the Fire Stick, just one more thing on this. If you buy it on the Fire Stick, like if you get the TV up on the Fire Stick, you can't subscribe, rent, or buy movies in the Fire Stick app because Apple doesn't want to give Amazon a car. That's right. right? Yeah. So they say use use the TV up on another platform to purchase. But if you're just a so Android user, you don't have another platform to purchase on unless you like fire up your computer and go to the web, I guess. So are you uh, saying that's one of the reasons Apple's not doing Android? Maybe? No, I'm saying that's one reason they should do it on Android. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Because they could, like, you can sign up for Apple Music through the Apple Music app on Android. Yes, I get it now. And I believe they even host, you can sideload Apple Music on Android. They host it somewhere. So you could do that with the TV app too. But they have shown no interest in it. And as far as I know, they're not working on it. Which is pretty stupid, in my opinion. All right. I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. Send us feedback, happy hour at 9 to 5 Mac. Or you can find me on Threads, Twitter, Mastodon, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? At Beezade Mayo, Threads, Twitter. There you go. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.